This is a presentation I've been wanting to do for some time. I've been telling you for many months that the SARS-CoV-2 vaccines do not activate production of memory T-cells. Today, we're going to talk about the science of why that is. And we're going to do this in three parts. The first part is that the body does not act or do things the way people might want it to do things or wish it would do things. We're going to talk about the fact the body does things in the way that it does them. Number two, we're going to talk about the physiology of why the vaccines do not activate production of memory T-cells. And number three, we're going to talk about some of the <clears throat> studies that falsely claim that the vaccines do activate production of memory T-cells. The Dr. Reality Vodcast with Dave Champion. We'll start with the fact that the body does things the way the body does things. The way people's brains wish the body would do it or hope the body would do it or maybe think it should do it their way is relevant. And I'm going to use the issue of dementia to illustrate this point. Now, if you follow physiology, you know that dementia has been on the rise, and dramatically so. And estimates are, I think they're saying by 2030, there will be a 40% increase in the number of people diagnosed with dementia. So there was a day that dementia was virtually unknown until somebody was like 90 or 100. The reason we're seeing far more dementia and earlier is because of the things that we choose to put in our mouths, the way we eat. And let me explain why that drives dementia. Uh, there is a substance that accumulates in the brain given the way we eat called beta amyloid. So beta amyloid, when it accumulates, it stops the neurons from communicating. And then when enough neurons are unable to communicate, that is then diagnosed as what we call dementia. Why is beta amyloid building up in the brain at rates never seen historically, if you go back 50 years, 70 years, 100 years, if we could have looked at the brain in those days, we would have found virtually no beta amyloid. So why is it now? The answer to that is what we eat. The typical diet, especially in Western nations, is people eat diets that force their blood sugar up dramatically. And then in response to that, because high levels of blood sugar are actually toxic to the tissues of the body, the body has to go into an emergency mode to bring that back down somewhere close to baseline. So it produces insulin. The higher you drive your blood sugar level, then the more insulin has to be produced by the pancreas to drive that blood sugar back down somewhere close to baseline. Lots of people between meals and snacking, they can do this four, five, six, eight, nine, ten times a day. High blood sugar, high insulin, then the blood sugar comes down. Then high blood sugar again and high insulin. Okay, so understanding that pattern, guess what is not healthy for the brain? Right, high insulin levels. And that brings us to an enzyme called insulin-degrading enzyme, or IDE. IDE is produced, is produced in throughout the body, but for the sake of this discussion, it's produced in the brain. And we know that what IDE does is it disables uh, part of the structure of insulin so that it no longer performs as insulin and that it's no longer a threat to the tissue of the brain. So these four, five, eight, ten times that people drive their blood sugar up and then that produces high insulin and the high insulin then saturates the brain, IDE has to go in there and disable the insulin for the health of the brain. Now, how does that relate to beta amyloid? If we presume that mankind has existed for hundreds of thousands of years, I personally believe mankind has existed for millions of years, on the, on the timeline of human history, 
driving blood glucose up, insulin up. Then blood glucose again, insulin again, blood glucose again, insulin again. This cycle doing it again and again and again and again in a single day. Uh, in the timeline of human history, that has existed in like the last couple minutes. Okay, It is a very modern phenomenon. In fact, speaking anthropologically, increasing blood glucose levels, anything more than a trivial amount, was virtually unheard of for the lion's share, probably 99.9% .9 of mankind's history up until the last hundred years or so. So for hundreds of thousands of years or millions of years, the human brain did not need to produce IDE in any particular large quantities. A trivial amount was used. IDE actually does several things in the body. Science is unclear on, on a lot of them. Uh, but we know that it disables certain components in insulin. We also know that it clears beta amyloid from the brain. But it is produced in the brain in small amounts in anticipation of clearing out any trivial beta amyloid that builds up in the brain. So now you've got a limited amount of IDE, but then you're constantly saturating your brain day in and day out, multiple times a day with insulin, which requires every last drop of insulin-degrading enzyme to deconstruct the critical parts of the insulin and render it safe. So how much IDE is left to clear beta amyloid from the brain, the plaque? Yeah, none. So the beta amyloid plaque continues to build up and build up and build up and build up and build up. It shuts off the neuron communication, and then the doctor says to you, when whatever age you're at, I think you're in the starting throes of dementia. I'm sure we would all love it if uh, the production of IDE was on some sort of a rheostat, so that you could turn it up if you're saturating your brain in insulin time and time again. So all the IDE has been taken up by the critical task of deconstructing the insulin, um, but yet there's all this beta amyloid building up. Wouldn't we love it if we could just like turn a rheostat and say, okay, brain, start producing more IDE? We'd all want that. We'd all wish that. We'd all desire that. Then you do whatever the hell you wanted, right? But that's not how it works. The body produces only the amount of IDE that is genetically coded to produce and no more. So if you flood your brain day in and day out, multiple times a day with, you're saturating your brain with insulin, and so all the IDE is consumed in that critical task and there's none left to clear the beta amyloid from your brain, yeah, you have a choice. You can go into early dementia as we're seeing more and more people do and lose your mind, literally, or you can stop that dietary process Despite the establishment narrative that they're working to stop dimension is so hard and we don't understand what it, we do, except if people just simply took stock of what I was saying and made appropriate changes in their diet, well, then Big Pharma wouldn't be able to make, looking forward, billions and billions and billions of dollars on some nutty dementia medication. Because, of course, Americans don't want to actually be healthy. They don't want to change anything to get healthy. They, they just want a pill. So you understand that the body does what the body does, whether we wish or hoped it would do something else. With that behind us now, let's get on to the fact that the vaccines do not activate production of memory T-cell. This is a very complex subject. However, um, rather than spend a ton of time breaking down all the minutia of the science, most of you, your eyes would glaze over and you wouldn't be interested anyway, I'm going to describe it in a way that hopefully every single person can understand. First, a quick recap on what, super quick recap on what memory T cells do. When the body encounters a pathogen that can cause disease, 
the body's adaptive immune response, if it gets past the innate response, the body's adaptive immune response then takes over and it marshals a number of different forces. It's sort of like uh, it brings in the air for the aircraft, right? And then it brings in the artillery and then it brings in the infantry. Okay, and all of these are different kinds of antibodies and affect our T cells and so forth. And we're not going to get into all that. However, once the battle has been joined and the pathogen has been defeated, uh, the body has to record two things. Number one is the identifying characteristics of that pathogen so it can respond rapidly if it encounters that pathogen a second or third or fourth time. And the other one is exactly what forces were marshaled to defeat it. We're going to talk about that more in a moment. If you've watched my earlier presentations, you know that neutralizing antibodies, whether they're produced naturally without a vaccine or whether they're produced pursuant to a shot of vaccination, Neutralizing antibodies fade away in time, what we now hear the news calling waning. So you can imagine, without memory T cells, there is zero protection once the neutralizing antibodies fade away, once they wane. And you might imagine that's a problem because what happens then, without those memory T cells, every time the body encounters that pathogen, it's brand new all over again. It's like Groundhog Day for the immune system without the happy ending. What makes that dangerous is that the initial response to a pathogen always takes longer to develop and to defeat the pathogen than if it has been recognized previously and then the body is able to immediately recognize it and immediately marshal all the correct forces to defeat it. And the result of that is a person... Instead of the body knocking out that pathogen instantly and not feeling anything, didn't even know that they were infected, instead of that, they can develop the disease that the pathogen creates. In other words, a person who's been vaccinated and then doesn't continue to get those injections, as time then goes by, the neutralizing antibodies wane, the protection wanes, and then your body's looking at that particular pathogen as if it had never before been infected. Imagine how somebody would feel if they were vaccinated and then got a second shot and then got a third shot, maybe got a fourth shot and said, you know what, I'm not, I'm not doing this for the rest of my life. So every six months, I'm not taking another shot. So they stop. And six months, eight months, 10 months, remember all that time, the neutralizing antibodies created by the vaccine wane and there are no memory T cells. If they decline ongoing vaccination, after a period of time, not only do they have no, no protection from infection, they have no protection from the disease that the pathogen causes. Obviously not a positive outcome. On to the physiology of why vaccines do not activate production of memory T cells. Let's start with this. All viruses are unique. That's what allows mankind science to differentiate between virus A, virus B, virus C. Today, that's done primarily by RNA, but that's not how the body necessarily does it. Depending on the virus and how people choose to look at what are individual characteristics, there are about 16 to 19 different individual identifying characteristics in the anatomy of a virus. Without getting too complex, um, that can include size, shape, surface proteins, internal structure, etc. And all of those characteristics are used by the body to identify a pathogen. The next thing I'm going to say is going to be a little bit sciencey. Don't sweat it. Just hang with me. I'll make the rest of it clear after that. 
when the body encounters a pathogen, for the sake of this discussion, we're going to limit it to a virus, the B cells, when they come in contact with that virus, they engage in something called clathrin-mediated endocytosis. It's not important that you remember that. In short, what it means is the B cell takes up the virus into itself. Then it begins to deconstruct the virus, to break it down, and catalog all of those individual identifying characteristics we talked about a moment ago. Once it identifies all those individual characteristics, it then blends them with MHC molecules and transfers that combination over to CD4 T cells. When the B cells disassemble the virus and identify and catalog the individual characteristics of that virus, and then they bind them to MHC molecules and transfer it to the CD4 T cells, that process of, of breaking down and identifying and then combining the complex with MHC molecules is what I refer to as the B cells creating a pathogen profile. It's like when police run somebody's record and they see all the different places they've lived and different states and driver's licenses and criminal prosecutions and convictions or lack thereof and so forth. They get this whole profile on the suspect they have in custody. Well, the B cells have their suspect in custody and they build on the spot that pathogen profile and transfer it to the CD4 T cells. CD4 T-cells are really cool because they differentiate into a number of different other kinds of T-cells that have various functions. One of the various forms of T-cell that a CD4 T-cell can differentiate into is a memory T-cell. However, and this is the critical part of this whole thing, absent a pathogen profile, a CD4 T-cell will not, or maybe I should say never, differentiate into a memory T-cell because there's nothing to keep in memory. There's no pathogen profile. There, when that pathogen profile is handed off from the B cells over to the memory, oh, I'm sorry, over to the CD4 T cells, that is the trigger, the signal that says, hey, CD4 T cell, guess what you're going to differentiate into? Yeah, now that you got this pathogen profile, create, turn yourself into a memory T cell. In the absence of a CD4 T cell receiving a pathogen profile from the B cell, it will never differentiate into a memory T cell. As I'm sure you're aware, the SARS-CoV-2 vaccines don't cause the body to produce the SARS-CoV-2 virus. They only create one and one thing only, and that is the S-protein spike, which is a tiny fragment of all of the various identifying factors involved in the B cells identifying a pathogen. So when we look at this pathway that in ordinary circumstances with a wild virus infection, this pathway that would lead to the production of uh, memory T cells, do the B cells uptake? Do they engage in clathrin-mediated endocytosis for a spike, for a tiny fraction of what they're looking for? Well, we don't know the answer to that scientifically, but I'm going to tell you the answer is absolutely not. The reason is, for all of mankind's history, what the B cells were looking for was the whole anatomy of the pathogen. Not only does it make no sense that the B cells would uptake a tiny fragment because they can't create a pathogen profile that requires 16, 18, 19 different components from which to build the pathogen profile. Not only does it make no sense from a physiological perspective, but how much evidence do you think there is that memory B cells engage in clathrin-mediated endocytosis concerning a fragment of a virus? Yeah, there's absolutely zero evidence that B cells do that. 
Let me give you an analogy. Let's say somebody walks up and hands you a little tiny one-inch piece of the white lace that they use in lacing up the side of a football, right? You all know what a football looks like, right? Laces are used. That's where the quarterback puts his fingers so he has gription. All right. So now you're holding this one-inch piece of lace. This is analogous to the S-protein spike, what a small part of the football that one-inch piece of lace is, right? So if somebody comes along and says, hey, man, I, I see you've got a piece of football lace. Let's go out on the field and you can throw some passes to me, right? That's absurd, right? Because it's not a football. Well, likewise, the S-protein spike is not a virus. It's a tiny fragment of the overall virus. And just like you can't play football with a piece of white lace from a football, nor can the B-cells create a pathogen profile from a tiny fragment. There's also more that's significant concerning memory T-cells, or the lack thereof, because the dendritic cells actually record the actions that the body takes to battle the pathogen. We talked about this a little bit earlier when I used the analogy of it brings in the infantry and it brings in the bombers and it brings in the artillery. Okay. So the dendritic cells keep a record of what forces were marshaled because that would, be that would be important to marshaling those forces immediately again if the body ever encounters that pathogen subsequent to the initial infection. However, if there's no pathogen profile passed on from the B cells to the CD4 T cells, and then no memory T cells are created, there's no place for the dendritic cells to store that data. So they don't. And finally, part three of the presentation, the studies that falsely claim that the vaccines do activate production of memory T cells. I've talked about this in a couple of earlier presentations, so I'm not going to beat this to death right now. But I will open with the fact that there is one technology, one technology only on the entire planet Earth that can actually verify the existence of memory T cells and tissues of the body, such as bone marrow. That's called MHC peptide tetramorph staining. And we'll talk about that a little bit more in a minute. In a 2019 study entitled Optimized Protocol for the Detection of Multifunctional Epitope-Specific CD4 T-Cells Combining MHC2 Tetramar and Intracellular Cytokine Staining Technology. Whew, just quite the name of a study, right? In the study, they said, quote, Analysis of multifunctional CD4-positive T-cells is fundamental for characterizing the immune responses to vaccination or infection. The direct and specific method for identifying antigen-specific CD4-positive T-cells is based on the major histocompatible complex, MHC, tetramorph staining technique. This procedure allows the identification of specific T-cells. I want to draw your attention to the fact that in that quote, they said that technology renders a direct and specific result. And of course, the opposite of that is indirect and non-specific and lesser, older technologies that don't produce direct or specific results concerning the existence of, of specific types of T-cells have been used in every single one of the studies that falsely claim the existence of memory T-cells post-vaccination. In short, those studies make a leap from inferential information. They, they make a leap and say, well, since we have X, then Y must exist logically, which isn't scientifically accurate at all. But the public doesn't understand that. Hell, the public doesn't even read the contents of the study. All they do is look at the study headlines, or mostly they look at the media headlines. They don't even look at the study headlines. 
And guess why studies are funded that use lesser technology that does not directly and specifically show whether or not memory T cells are activated by the vaccines? The reason is they want the researchers to be able to make these non-scientific leaps so that they can create the headlines so that the legacy media and social media users, when they don't like what they hear, they can go out and grab one of these bogus industry-funded study titles and they toss it up there and they say, see, you're wrong. The vaccines do create memory T-cells. Well, unless the study used MHC peptide tetramar staining technology, you don't know that. It's BS. Yeah, go figure the establishment is BSing you. And I will add, if you're one of the people trying to go out and grab those links and throw them in there because you want to be right, you're part of the problem in this country. On November 12th, 2021, the Los Angeles Times ran an article with this title, CDC shifts pandemic goals away from reaching herd immunity. And you may recall that let's say about a year ago, the establishment narrative was, we'll never reach herd immunity without vaccination. Okay, so then why a year later is CDC shifting the discussion away from herd immunity? Because guess what is key to herd immunity? Guess what is the single component within the body's adaptive immune response that engenders an outcome within each person? And then we take a look at each person, say, in a community of 2 million, when enough of those 2 million have that internal physiological thing, which I'm going to describe in a moment, going on, then on a society-wide basis or a community-wide basis, we call that having achieved herd immunity. And that thing that's missing, the reason CDC wants to direct the conversation now away from herd immunity, the thing that's missing is the vaccines are not activating production of memory T-cells. If they were, we'd have long ago reached herd immunity. Notwithstanding the science we've discussed today, just looking at the fact that between prior infection immunity and vaccination in the United States, put those two together, something like we've now, uh, we're now approaching almost 150% of the total U.S. population. So if the vaccines were activating production of memory T cells, we would have long, long ago achieved herd immunity. Instead, because the vaccines are preventing herd immunity from ever occurring, now the United States government wants to steer the conversation away from herd immunity. A year ago, it was we can't reach herd immunity without vaccination, and now it's like we can't talk about herd immunity anymore. The reason is the vaccines have ensured it's not going to happen. And the big problem with that is that means SARS-CoV-2 is going to go on for some indeterminate period of time Years? Decades? Because the people who have this temporary protection that, by the government's own admission, it wanes. And, and Fauci was just talking the other day, the data out of Israel shows the fact that not only does it wane in terms of increased susceptibility to infection when it wanes, but also there's a diminished ability to prevent the onset of COVID-19, which was, of course, the primary selling point a year ago. If you appreciate this kind of plain talk, easy to understand breakdown of science, I want to encourage you to go to drreality.news. Grab yourself a copy of Body Science. It takes complex science, just like we've been talking about today, and I break it down and make it really, really easy to understand. And it reveals all the things that the establishment, just like we're talking about with the memory T cells, the establishment has kept hidden from the world, most especially the people in the United States, for decades now concerning how your physiology 
actually functions. And hiding that information from the American public has what is what has made America the most ill community in the history of mankind. With all of our medical advances, the United States is the most ill society in human history because of what's been hidden from you. And in body science, I lay that all out. And more importantly, once you're done and you close that final page of the book, you'll know exactly how to be in control and command of your own health. And if you want a complex area of law broken down into the same easy-to-understand language that I've shared with you today, then pick up up a copy of Income Tax Shattering the Myths, which shatters the myth that everyone in America, if you go out, you earn a living, you make some money, you get a paycheck, you owe some to the government, which is a complete falsehood, a complete fabrication, one that, honestly, you've been socialized to believe only because the law, much like science, is so incredibly complex that you've never had the time energy to go look it up. So in Income Tax Shattering the Mist, I break it all down for you, make it very linear from 1895 forward. We, we talk about it in a very sort of common sense way. We look at how the law operates and what definitions mean and so forth. And when you get to the end, just like body science, when you close that final page, no one will ever be able to BS you again because you will have 100% of the facts that you need to be in control of your life. Also, by purchasing a copy of Body Science for Income Tax Shattering This, you help me continue to be here for you with these kind of presentations. Thank you.